You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. See, that's what amazes me about this legend business, because uh, I, I just think what I did was normal. I just always felt, well, you know, this is the way you play the game. I don't think I've ever played a perfect game. I, I would never settle for it. Football Hall of Famer Dick Butkus today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Buell Thompson. The National Football League is over 100 years old. During that century, Americans have witnessed some of the most breathtaking games, the most spectacular plays, some of the most colorful athletes in history, and more than a few heartbreaking spectator sports moments of agony. Back in 1994, the NFL helped produce a big coffee table book that was a history of the first 75 years of the NFL. And they chose legendary Chicago Bears middle linebacker Dick Butkus to write the foreword for that book. Now, I grew up in the Chicago area, so I knew the name Dick Butkus pretty well, and I knew his reputation. One of his former opponents once said that Dick Butkus's aim was, when he tackled you, was not just to put you in the hospital, it was to put you in the cemetery. But when I met Dick Butkus, I found him to be a warm and personable guy with lots of fun stories to tell. So here now, from 1994, Dick Butkus. As it explains in uh, in the book that I think it was 37,000 and some change players that played professional football. And earlier this year, they called me to ask me to do the introduction. So I said, well, sure, you know, it would be a pleasure to. And I guess that, um, I guess that signifies uh, that maybe I played the game the right way or something. <laughs> I, you know, somebody liked it or whatever. To feel, just, to feel some pressure to really say something kind of momentous. I mean, 75 years, a big coffee table book, and you're the one they picked, and now they're waiting for you to say something memorable. Well, I, 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 really, didn't, <laughs> I really didn't think about all that. I just wrote uh, what I felt the, uh, the game meant to me, and it it meant everything to me for, our, you know, since I was eight years old all the way until I finished when I was 30, 31 or 30 years old. So I just wrote it, um, you know, what it really meant to me. You know, some people play and uh, maybe for the wrong reasons, maybe it's because of the money that people are getting nowadays. Uh, young kids want to, you know, be the Michael Jordans, maybe not so much because they like basketball, but it's maybe it's because they think they can make $60 billion, jillion dollars too. And for all the wrong reasons, a lot of, I think, kids are saying, well, I want to be this, I want to be, uh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and blah, blah, blah. I... You know, back then there wasn't the publicity about salaries in sports as there is today, and I truly loved the game, and I tried to convey that in the, in the introduction. Uh, I just felt everybody that made that all-decade dec- team uh, or the all-time team, mm-hmm. uh, they all have to feel the same way I do, I would think, but uh, for some reason they picked me to write it. So. It is. It really is incredible, all the stories of all the great players through through 75 seasons who've got that fire in the belly, that something in them just drives and drives and drives them to do things to themselves and to other men that, that uh, normal people just ought not to do. Well, that's... That's right. I guess, you know, it's a good thing they had the outlet <laughs> called football, but... Uh, you know, to 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 go through the book and uh, you know, back when Red Grange and uh, his agent C.C. C. Pyle, they call him Cash and Carry Pyle, I guess, and 
uh, all the way up because, you know, he went to Illinois, and he's from Wheaton, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. And then, of course, George Hallis, who I played for with mm-hmm. the Bears, and he's the guy that started all this business. Uh, it's a lot lot different today between the owners back then and the owners today. And uh, the question that always is brought up, too, is, you know, have the players really changed? And I... Uh, I, I work, uh, I do the radio for the Bears, so I broadcast a lot for the last, oh, about eight or nine years, and I can honestly say, yeah, the players have changed, I think. Um, not maybe 100%, but a lot of them do think and look at the contract and the money and, and how to prolong their career so they can make more money, and um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but... Um, I don't know. I I would hope that they still love the game enough to go into it and, and play it because it's it's not a sport you want to just do for the money. <laughs> well, well, yeah. But when you talk about players uh, sacrificing parts of their little fingers uh, when when things yeah. don't work out quite right, or uh, uh, you know, people uh, well, like, people like you who who sacrifice uh, you know being able to walk properly for the rest of your life for a game that you love. You really have to love the game a lot. You know, it's not. Uh, not so much, well, I guess you can say it's sacrifice and everything else, but, you know, everybody's got, you know, hazards in their occupation, and it's just for some reason sports are, you know, because of the media and the exposure it gets, you know, you're kind of in the spotlight. It's kind of a form of entertainment, and anybody that plays the game, if he doesn't realize that he's going to be injured, uh, he's going to have something wrong with him when he do- when he finishes playing, well, then... Uh, if he doesn't, then he's been an awful lucky person, or he didn't play much. You know, maybe he sat the bench <laughs> a lot, but it's just an occupational hazard that you're going to get hurt in this game because it is a violent game, and no one, you know, you really can't. You lose the perspective of how violent and how because of how big and how fast these people are today. You know, I sit up above the stadium in a broadcast booth and and I see all this, and I say things that they should be doing this and they should be doing that, and then. But when you get on the field, and of course, you know, TV has tried it a lot. Well, listen to the sound of this impact, you know, and you could barely hear a little thing. I mean, they really don't do any justice to it because these people really can move now. And, and the way I found out was not too long ago, we had a sort of a, a throwbacks weekend in Chicago, and we had seven of the 23 Hall of Famers back, and we got to stand out there where they introduced the the players, you know, and I'm standing near the end of the line, and they're introducing the, the other team, and then they introduce the Bears, and and I see these guys, you know, these 300 pounders whizzing by me, and I'm thinking, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, maybe I don't know if I could play today, you know. <laughs> Well, no, you know, this, this is one of the things I love about this book because all the little stories in here, the little anecdotes, you know, the story about Deacon Jones running alongside Bobby Mitchell, you know, for, for 10 yards before he knocks him out of bounds just because he wanted to see if he could run as fast as, as Mitchell. You know? Yeah, that, that's that's what's <laughs> funny about the, the game. Now, I, and, I, and I think back then we had a lot of fun in doing that because they used to pull a lot of stuff on the guys. Just to see if you could do it. Yeah, and, and they all thought that, oh, you know, here's this animal and everything else. And I would used to walk in the other guy's huddle and I'd, you know, I'd steal a, the count number from, uh, like, the Vikings. Joe Cap would, you know, kneel down, but he would be facing a defensive huddle and they would he would say, like, okay, uh, red, right, 48, toss on two, you know, and I'm... Okay, guys, it's on two. And then Tinglehoff, the center, would come up over the line. I said, Ting, 
make sure that it's on two now. Don't forget, you know, and he'd like look up from the ball and say, what the heck is going? I don't know if they do that today. I don't know if they have that much fun, you know, except for this goofy business they do in the end zone and stuff. Uh, this so-called celebrating deal. <laughs> you know, it's like they never got in the end zone before. But <laughs> Now, is this story that's in this book uh, about you true, about the the, 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 the um, Colts being on the bus heading back to the airport after a bad day at Wrigley Field? The bus is rear-ended, and they all look at each other and say, Butkus. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's been so long since I've been playing. These stories are getting a little <laughs> bit stretched out, and a few people, you know, I'm questioning whether that was a very high-grade plastic helmet that they were using because some of these guys are coming up with these stories. I don't know. But you're a legend. they got to come well, up with stories. Well, there's there's other guys that are, you know, that are supposedly legends. I, I, see, that, that's what amazes me about this legend business because uh, I, I just think what I did was was normal. I mean... I just always felt, you know, this is the way you play the game. I don't think I've ever played a perfect game. I, I would never settle for it. Uh, I think that's what, one thing that helped me out was not to be not to be complacent with my play year after year. I always tried to improve, and if I looked hard enough in a movie or a film of a game, I could always find somewhere where I can improve, and, and that's what I tried to do. So if it, if it was that different from from the other players, uh, you know, I guess that's that's the reasons. But I, at least I I hope it's for because of the way I played the game and everything, and not because maybe after the after my football uh, career was over, I, I did a little TV and things like that, and maybe that keeps the name uh, you know fresh in people's mind. But I, I still hope it's because of the football playing. After the short break, Dick Butkus tells how some of his boyhood dreams actually came true in the NFL. Now back to my 1994 interview with Dick Butkus. You know what else I find amazing in going through the, the individual stories is how many men were able to rack up incredible seasons, incredible feats, put themselves in the record books for teams that didn't play any better than 500. Yeah. Well, that's... You know, that's the case, you know, the Chicago Bears and, and uh, let's see, from 65, let's say when Gail Sears and I uh, were drafted with the Bears till 73, when I left, I mean, we got we got maybe close to a, a, if this team won and two other teams lost and we won, we might have gotten the tie to be at a playoff, but uh, that's, I think that's, that's another sign or a mark of a, of, a, of, a, of a guy or a great player that, you know, goes after it. I mean, I forget what year it was. One, uh, it was 69, I believe, that our team was 1-13 and and I was voted defensive player of the year. Now, how, you know, you mean to tell me that, you know, we had one of the worst teams along with Pittsburgh that year, and yet they still uh, honored me by naming me defensive player of the year. So, I mean, what threat was I? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) our team certainly wasn't. You would think everybody would want to play the Bears in those years, but it's the way it goes. This this book is so... When did you first get a look at the finished book? I didn't get a look at it until, um, really, until 
about the first of the year. I mean, first of the football season. Wow. Um, this is going to be like a, like a college yearbook for you. Yeah, yeah it is. It, it really is. And, and you know, because they called me early in, earlier this year and asked me to if I would do the introduction. So I did that. And uh, next thing I know is when I, I saw it in New York at the uh, press conference there. And I... So I took it back to the room and I read the darn thing almost in one night. But you know, there were it was very interesting and and it's you know they also did a movie. TNT did a mm-hmm. almost based on the book, and I was amazed because a few players that were on these teams were at the press conference, and uh, it showed their age because you know years ago in the NFL, a ball carrier you know could run with the ball, you could tackle them. And he can get up and run, run some more, mm-hmm. but he, he had to be. The whistle had to blow him dead, and that's when the play stopped. And I was amazed at a at a player in my era saying, "Geez, I didn't know that." You know, and I'm saying, "How could you?" You know, I'm, like, you know, if you're going to play football, man, you got to read up and look, get a little history about. It. You know, when they say like the galloping ghost, you know, you got to know who that is, and and. And uh, so this, I, I learned also a lot of things about reading about it. So it's not only for the for the fan. Uh, you know, some players could look it up. Well, yeah, you know, when, you, when you're playing at Memorial Stadium, and you know this is the grass that Red Grange ran on, and then yeah. you go to Chicago and, you, you know, you're playing for George Hallis. I mean, there's got to be some pressure on you to, to, to perform. Well, let's see, that's what I think they're getting away from, the, the players uh, and today because of the exposure. You know, and that's... It's just like baseball. They're talking about, you know, the strike and because of this. And this is because, you know, it all started from the guys in the older era that stood up against the owners, blah, blah, blah. Uh, sometimes, you you know, you tend to forget where the roots really came from. And, and uh, you know, there are a lot of great players. I, I can't imagine uh, players today that, you know, if they have an interest in the game, these they would look it up. I'm not, you know, I'm sure most of them do, but... It's interesting. You you, you should know where uh, uh, the game came from because you're really enjoying the fruits of it right now. Of a lot of these guys, uh, you know, in the '40s, '50s, and '60s, even that are all messed up, but they uh, they made the game. Also proves once again that there is really nothing new. There's everything has been tried or invented sure. or thought of by somebody else at some other time. Yeah, there's only so. That's what amazes me too. All the geniuses in the game, <laughs> and I think they just maybe found an older book somewhere that they could come up with some things to change. When you look back on your own career, are there certain moments that for you define? I mean, maybe the fans define you by one moment. Maybe somebody saw you in a game and, and they'll never forget that particular play. Are there certain plays that, in your mind, when you think about your own career, that's those are the moments that define you? Well, I, yeah, there are. There, there, just a few things happen that that I dreamt about when I was a high school player. If you want to believe this or not, I mean, I was so into football. I mean, you know, it's easy enough to say, yeah, I was into it, but I I was into it all ever since I could remember. And in high school, we had. Uh, a team, uh, the high school team, Chicago Vocational. You know, we were city champs for, for a couple of years, and 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 we lost a couple of the, the championship games. And and I would go home and be, you know, thinking about all these weird things happening. I'll be darned if I, it didn't happen when I was in a, uh, as a pro. They they came true, like you know, uh, uh, tackling somebody, but instead of making a tackle and knocking them down, you know, end up with the ball and run the other way, and all these things happen. And I was just totally focused into it, and probably the one 
one play, I know there are a lot of plays, but one play, George Allen was my first coach, and he always wanted, you know, when he went to the Rams, he was he, he told me he was going to try to give all his draft choice to the Bears to get me out there with the Rams, and of course it didn't happen. And then when he went to Washington, he wanted to trade for me there uh, at the very end of my career. But we were playing Washington, and uh, with George uh, uh, coaching, and it was we weren't going anywhere, and, and uh, we scored a touchdown, and uh, we tied the game up, and we needed the extra point for the win. And if we beat Washington, that meant that they had to win the next game to get in the playoffs. Well, I got kicked near the the eye, and, and it was like the series before that, and it was like swelling up, and it was like closing. And so here I'm the left blocking back on the extra point. We got the score tied, you know, we line up, we kick the extra point, boom, we beat George and the Redskins, and everything's great. Well, I hear this roar after the snap, and I look up, and the, there's no ball, and I turn around, and I see our our quarterback, Bobby Douglas, about the 30 to 35 yard line, scrambling around. The guy snapped the ball over his head, and he took it, and I, I'm the up back, so I'm eligible, so I run out in the end zone, and I'm waving, and he throws it to me, and. And because I, I, I had to catch it one eye, say no one knew that. I mean, but and so I jump up. And I almost, you know, I could have I could have stood there and caught the ball, but my death perception, I thought it was going to be real high, so I jump up and I almost had to catch it down by my knees, and I caught it and we won. You know, we got the extra point, we won the game, and and uh, you know, people say, well, what's the big deal? You know, caught an extra point, yeah. But I says it was a you know it was a forty yard pass, and I caught it with one eye, man. That's that's pretty darn tough. Now I have more appreciation of guys like Fred Arbanis of Kansas City. <laughs> you know, your depth perception isn't the same. And but. that's why people like you get into the game, isn't it? Well, it's from moments like that. Uh, that's right. I mean, it's just uh, you can't buy that kind of moment with a with a paycheck. That's that's no, that just no, comes. No, that's true. That's. You know, it's just like uh, like a runner. I mean, uh, like Gail Sayers, uh, you know, r- making a long run, one of his patent runs, I guess that's the thrill of a lifetime, mm-hmm. being on defense, making a big hit, uh, you know, a big interception or whatever. That That's the moments. And and they don't come around too often. So you really, uh, you know, but you're always striving to make it happen. And that's what I think makes it a, a great game because everybody's trying to do that, you know, make great plays, and uh, it's just tough to do. Dick Butkus celebrated his 79th birthday last week, and he remains active today in several charities through the Butkus Foundation. Now, you know, you can find all of our past episodes of Now I've Heard Everything at our website, heardeverything.com. There are hundreds of interviews there, including my interview with another NFL legend, Sam Huff. Football is a violent game. It's war without guns. It's a wrestling match up front, but it's also a boxing match when that guy comes through with the football and he's got the football and he's as big as you are and he's got a running start. And my interview with the man who became famous from the movie The Blind Side, Michael Orr. I never had to you know, be in the NFL or the NBA or anything like that. I could have had, you know, been a garbage man or, you know, picking up trash on the side of the road as long as I was able to have a decent roof over my head and food on my table. You know, that that was a successful life for me. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, you see her every evening on Inside Edition. Now listen to my 2007 interview with Deborah Norville. You know, my job as, as a journalist, the first bumper sticker I ever got 100 years ago was at a journalism convention. It said, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. I believe your protestations of love and adoration, but uh, where's the beep? That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything.
I'm Bill Thompson. 